Welcome to Club Management. I'm your host, Shannon Dawson. You can listen to the show on any of your favorite streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a cool little comment too on all of our platforms. And you can follow me at Shannon1DJ on Twitter and Instagram. I also have a YouTube channel that I will link below in the comments. That's at DJ Shannon. And this is episode 28. And I'm coming at you back to back with new ones. Um, You know, forgive me for anyone that follows the Instagram page. This is a one woman show. So I'm constantly trying to crank out these ideas <laughs> to keep you all you know engaged and entertained uh, but sometimes you've got those creative lulls that kind of peek in and you're just not sure where to take things next so I'm taking my time I'm you know not rushing the process I'm just kind of letting things uh, develop as is so thank you so much for taking time to listen to all of the content, read all of the content. I truly appreciate it. You know, this episode for episode 28, I mean, it's literally a full circle moment for me because I've been an incredible fan of this label and I think they've really set the foundation for a momental time in house music uh, period. You know, not only in Chicago house music, but I think in Within House Music's legacy, this label has played a vital role. Um, And as a younger DJ um, and for any of the young producers that listen to the show, I just think it's so essential to know your history. So I am honored to share with you an interview that I did with Ray Barney, who's the founder of the legendary Dance Mania. And Dance Mania is the Motown of Ghetto House. One, two, can I have your attention? From 1986 to 1999, the label pioneered the ghetto house sound and spawned the careers of so many influential DJs and producers in Chicago house music, like the incredible DJ Dion. DJ Funk. Faxman and Paris Mitchell. Ray's been in the music industry for a long time too. His father founded a distribution business called Barney's One Stop Records in the early 60s. Ray continued to follow in his dad's footsteps when he took over the shop in the 80s and the rest was history. And after talking to Ray, I found out that some of my favorite songs from the history of Dance Mania were some of the first releases off the label, like a track called What's That by Dwayne Buford and Jesse Saunders. And it was the first release on the label that would coin the Dance Mania name and bring the label into existence. But maybe you've heard of House Nation by the House Master Boys. Or Eric Martin's Hit It From The Back. Many of these songs have become fan favorites throughout the history of Dance Mania. And I still hear them being played to this day. But I can only do the story so much justice. It's better if you hear it from the man himself, Mr. Ray Barney. When when I heard your voice, I said, man, she sounds young. <laughs> what is she doing knowing about Dance Mania anyway? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the crazy thing about it, right, is that the legacy of Dance Mania continues to really just aspire and inspire this younger generation of DJs and producers that's coming up. Um, and that, that's a testament to what you, you've done. I mean, you've laid down the groundwork to now where, you know, even today you've got guys from the label like DJ Sluggo, who's still really active in the scene, uh, DJ, DJ Dion, who is still releasing despite, you know, his health issues at the moment. And even, Tra- yeah, and even Tracksman, who continues to carry... Yeah, an, right. an incredible right. lazy uh, legacy. Paul, it's, Paul yeah. Johnson also. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Paul oh. Yeah. Those those guys those guys are uh, they're they're really good DJs, and the music we did was was not over man, not over man as far as production is concerned. Mm-hmm. And so they were DJs who were able to make the music and they were able to reflect the kind of music 
the kind of attitude that was going on in the, their neighborhoods or their blocks or their, um, you know, their little parts of the city or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was watching a couple of documentaries that you guys did, and uh, DJ Dion talks about even the term ghetto house, how that really was reflective of how, you know, they were growing up in the ghetto and took to music as a way to really express themselves and express what was going on in their neighborhoods. And um, it's just incredible to hear the story and how it's resonated to this day, you know. Um but I want to talk a little bit about you first because you have an interesting story. And throughout my research of the label and, and watching all the documentaries, it's interesting to read that your musical taste is quite different compared to what was being released off of the label. Um, can you talk a little right. bit about yeah what you grew up listening to around the house? Okay. I'm, I'm an R&B guy. I'm a straight R&B guy. Mm -hmm. I'm a 70s, 80s R&B guy, and I always was. But you know, I was one. I was the, uh, I was one of the few people that had their hand in house music, and I was actually in the music industry. I, you know, I didn't just do house music. I, you know, dance music started out like a hobby of mine. My family owned a, a one-stop records. Uh, uh, record center, and what what is one stop is that we were a record record distribution company that sold records to other record stores, to other independent record stores, mm -hmm. and um, you know, dance mainly uh, came came out of that. You know, because when house music was really getting popular. It was just a hobby of mine. And, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, well, I already have a warehouse, I already have people doing shipping, I already have people doing receiving, I already have people doing billing. You know, it, it was like a compliment to what I was doing already. Mm -hmm. So I was actually in the record business. I wasn't. I wasn't a house music guy who wanted to do house music. I mean, I was, I was more than just a house music guy. Mm. Mm. And so that was, that was how it came about. Interesting. Were you actually making music at this time too, or? No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was, you know, I, I learned about, I really learned about house music. Have you ever heard a guy by the name of Vince Lawrence? Mm-hmm. Okay, I really learned about house music culture and the sound and everything. I really learned what I knew about house music from Vince. Mm. Uh, Vince would school me on house music and stuff all the time. And uh, there's a guy named Dwayne Buford. Mm. And which, if you know Dance Mania, you know the first record I put out was by Dwayne and Company. Mm -hmm. And he was in a group called Jesse's Gang. Uh, and people know Jesse Saunders. Uh, he was in a group with Jesse Saunders. Mm -hmm. But he and I, he's, and you remember uh, the, the label, Tracks Records. Of Are course. you familiar with that? Okay. Those guys used to do a little free, freelance work with Larry Sherman, who owned Tracks Records at the time. And they used to deliver me my orders all the time. Mm -hmm. And Dwayne and I struck up, well, Dwayne, Dwayne and I, struck up a friendship and our and you know I kinda had a friendship with Vince and um that's how it all came about, you know, uh just just forming the friendship. I was never a, like a house head. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I never I never to anybody I never played like I was. You know, I, it was business to me. Wow. It was it was more or less business and it was a way of approaching music and music sales that you know that uh that kind of fueled me it wasn't it wasn't that i was a house music here it's not that i was a dj it's not that i was a producer it's not that i was you know i just love house music so much i did like house music right. and uh i just i just you know i i learned what i knew about house music from vince and Dwayne, and those guys kind of schooled me on what house i didn't even know what house music was initially <laughs> wow that's
that's so interesting. Would you say, though, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit that you had for music, did that come from your dad? Because I read that he also had a record label. Was it called uh, Bright Star Record? Or? Bright Star. And if yeah. you you know Byron, do you familiar with Byron Singley from Ten City? Wow. Yeah. What, you remember the, uh, he did an early, he did a couple of early records well, he was in a group called Ragtime, mm. and that was the first time he put out any music was with me. As a matter of fact, the song Devotion, mm. that was supposed to be on my label. What? Are you kidding me? That was supposed to be on Dancelania. But what happened was, I put up the money for those guys that Marshall Jefferson was their producer. And they put up the money for those guys to go into the studio. And, you know, in the meantime, they were doing the record for me. But in the meantime, they were kind of shopping around for a major label deal. They, they did get the deal. Now, you if you ever speak to Byron Stingley, this is why we're so close to this day. Mm-hmm. He said, man, we got a deal. And he knew that I put up the money for the song. So I owned the master tapes. The the studio the, the studio wouldn't release the master tapes to me. I was the one that put up the money. So they couldn't go give the tapes to somebody else. So he said, What do I what do I owe you? You know, what what do I have to give you to you know, because you know they had a deal on the table. And my response to him was just pay me for what I pay. And you know, it was it was like it was like uh, you don't have to, you don't have to give me anything extra. It was just you know whatever I put into it, just pay me that back, and that was it. That is so incredible. You know, that is literally the one thing that I've heard time and time again about you as a person is that, you know, there was never any kind of. Um, you know, mistreatment or shady deals done, like what's happening now in the context of 2020 with record deals. I mean, I can go on and on about it, but time and time again, I've heard about how you were just so incredible and how honest and you uh, and how you know how filled with integrity you were with dealing with the artists. And you know, I was watching that documentary that you did with Strut Records, and at the end, I kind of cried because. You said, you know, there was never, ever a problem. If somebody wanted their masters back, you would give it to them. Or I, I gave everyone their masters back. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Dance Mania to this day owns no masters. Wow. Own the name Dance Mania. Mm-hmm. But Dance Mania itself owns no masters. Everybody whose masters I received back, I gave back to them. Um, see, because the way I came up and the way I learned business under my dad, see, first of all, you know, I, I took over the music company, the music distribution, you know, that's that's what I was doing at the time when I formed in Slendia. I took over that end of the business from my dad. Now, you know, I just got out of college. And so... I learned business from my dad. Right. I mean, you know, I could say I graduated college. I graduated with a business degree. Then I went on to learn business, actual business from my dad. And there were little things he would always tell me. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he would tell me is that, um, you know, I always treat people fairly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, you know, it was always always treat people fairly. So I always took the I always took the uh I always took the tact that you know I wasn't in business for charity. You know, I you know, I, I hope I, I don't I don't give the impression like I just gave everything away <laughs> and I didn't want to make anything. Right. But I but I didn't mind the next guy making something too. Right. And that was unlike other like house music labels out of Chicago, mm-hmm. the, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mind other guys making money. I mean, if I made some money, I don't mind you making money too. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I didn't try to make it all, mm-hmm. and you know, and you got to remember, like I told you initially, 
it was a complimentary business to what I was doing anyway. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, you know, and other guys who did house music, that's what they did. You know, they did house music. I didn't, I was in the music industry before house, before I even knew anything about house music. Yeah, wow. I mean, I have I have gold records all over my store now. You know, from gold records I received from Boys to Men to Lionel Richie to Michael Jackson yeah. to to Tony Braxton. I, you know, I have a healthful store now. And uh, as a tribute to my dad, when my dad passed away, mm. all these plaques and everything he had in his home, I brought them down to the store. Wow. And so now. You know, you know, and 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 you know, I always try to, I always try to make the con- connection with people that, you know, uh, this, this, you know, I was, I was, I was more known in the music industry for Barney's records mm-hmm. more so than Disney records back in the day. Wow, it's also that th- this is also a full circle moment for me because I used to go to college and I used to stay uh, very close to the record store. I was on 18th and Halstead, about like 15, 20 minutes away. So this is also really funny to know that the store was located not too too far away from where I was staying. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting that you say that and that we speak about this in the context of 2020, right? Because now you've got guys like, I don't know if you've been following what's happening with Kanye West, but he's currently on Twitter right now screaming to the mountaintops about how it's so important for artists to own their masters. He's in like a huge uh, debacle with Sony and Universal right now. You know, to- I, did, I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did see that on Google. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't read the story because... You know, Kanye West stories can get kind of overbearing at times. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't read the whole thing, but I did see the headline. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was never an issue with me mm-hmm. for, for um, yeah. you know, about the about people's music and their masters and everything. And when I got ready to do the compilation with Strut, I had to get permission from every artist to... Uh, I'm doing this compilation. Is okay if I use your music to tell a spinning story? I didn't have any problems. I mean, I don't have problems to this day when I approach people because I've always treated people fairly. And when I come back and ask for a favor, I mean, they're more than willing to do it. I, I mean, if you, uh, Byron Stingley, a friend of mine was doing a, um, she did a house music um she does. She does a tribute for a son who had brain cancer, mm-hmm. and she does a fundraiser for you know as a tribute for him to um, you know every year. And one uh, a few years ago, they decided to do a house music party, mm-hmm. and she said, "Well, it will sure be nice if I could get somebody like Byron Stingley or something to perform at the fundraiser." Mm-hmm. I was like, "I know." And, you know, I called him up. He was like, yeah, I'll do it. (laughs) So, yeah. That's incredible. You know, he's posted on Facebook. And he put a picture of us together on Facebook. And he's like, this is the guy who helped me get started when I I was first getting into the business. As a matter of fact, Byron Stingley worked for me. Wow. We had, two, we had a couple of retail stores. Byron Stingley actually worked on my in my retail counter for me. That's incredible. That also was the case with some other folks off of Dance Mania, like well, Paris Mitchell. Well, Byron Stingley, Paris Mitchell, Jam mm-hmm. and Gerald, Tracksman. These guys all worked for me in the store. Wow. A lot of times. And, and, you know, I would, I would always find pleasure in seeing these guys come up, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I would see them... I would I would find pleasure in seeing them warm coming from nothing to something. Mm-hmm. I would I would actually find pleasure in that. That's incredible, you know, and I think that that's what really drew me to the story as well as that not only were you this incredible label owner, but you acted as a mentor for a lot of the artists on the label, helping them with releasing, helping them with distribution and, and learning how to do the business with integrity. So that's incredible. That is really cool. 
Um, I want to, I want to do, I want to talk a little bit about some of the earlier releases on Dance Mania. And I know we touched a little bit on uh, Dwayne and Co's uh, Hardcore Jazz. That was in, that came out in 1986, right? Or right, 86. You know, you are too young to know about this stuff, man. <laughs> I gotta know about it. That's the one thing about me. When I find something I really love, I obsess about it. So I have to know. Um, and then you had mentioned Ragtime, and Fix It Man is just an incredible track. And that was in i think that was in 1987 and then was did house nation by the housemaster boys come out during that time too it was it was right around in the early days yes it was house and nation you is know, a huge you know, track nation, you know um the house nation housemaster boys you know that's just farley um uh, the uh local dj in chicago you know him, farley jack McElroy. i'm actually not familiar with um with this artist He's one of the most uh, most known house DJs in Chicago. Wow. Especially at that time. Wow, that's incredible. House Nation, that is a track that I play. I hear it even when I was living in China. There are people over there that play that that in the club religiously. So that's a huge track. I'm wondering, were you in the room during the time when all these different iconic records were being made? Or... You know what? For for very few of them was I actually there. Mm-hmm. Very few, it's not many. Wow. Uh, you know, it's that's, that's not something I could claim. Okay. Um, and so I mean, it's just interesting to see. I also really love that the power of the mixtape really was huge even back then you know discovering artists through their mixtapes you know hearing their sound hearing how they develop their sound um that i read was a huge way that you found most of the artists was from listening to their mixtapes was there well, any like mm-hmm. that's how I, that's how i um met these mm. now we were um we were we were um you know, I had a distribution company, and so I sold music to other record stores. Mm. And so, you know, these other record stores, most of them would buy, you know, house music records, and but they would buy regular R&B records also. Mm. Um, now, there's a guy, I don't know if you ever heard the name. You ever heard, you ever hear Juan Tovar? Juan Tovar, oof. You're going to school me on this one, but no. <laughs> okay. Well, Juan Tovar... He had a mixtape of Dion's, and he played it for me. And I'm like, man, this guy's incredible. You got to introduce me to him. Mm -hmm. And Juan Tovar is the one that actually put me in touch with Dion. And when I got in touch with Dion and talked with him about releasing records, he was buddies with Sluggo and Milton, Mm -hmm. DJ Milton. Uh, So he brought those buddies along with him. That's incredible. And that's that's how that's the story of DJ Dion. I just I, I just met him through a mixtape, wow. and I was like, man, I, you got to introduce me to this guy. Now you know we used to use mixtapes as like marketing tools because if you like in in back in those days there were uh, house mix shows that would come on. And but you know, a, a lot of these DJs that would DJ the house music shows, they were artists also, mm. and most of them were connected with uh, the two biggest house music labels in Chicago at that time, which are which is Tracks Records and DJ International. Mm. They already had inroads to radio. Now, when I started doing music, okay, so we didn't have radio or we had very little radio. Mm-hmm. So they had to be a way to market that uh, that we could use that, you know, that because we couldn't go through normal channels because they just weren't available to us. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we got the reputation of being like the party label or the underground label or the label, you know, the label that, you know, that the the label that could, so to speak. (laughs) 
So, um, you know, we that's, we that's the way we started. You know, we and we started doing music with, you know, we would, we, we would be very popular at the party. We would start doing mixtapes. We would do all kind of little marketing things that, you know, wasn't uh, because regular channels was not available to us. Mm, yeah, you guys, and I'm sure, like, you know, now I think the same principle still does apply with the mixtape. Like, you know, there's a lot of younger DJs like myself. We're doing, like, pirate radio shows, and that's a great way for us to shoot a link off to, you know, different clubs or promoters to try and get on the on the deck set prospective clubs. Um, but yeah, you, I would imagine back then you really had to pull all your resources together to like make sure promotion was straight, you know? Ah. Well, well, it was, and you know, man, I just think (laughs) it's just so incredible, man. You know, I would, I would be in my store and, you know, one minute Paul Johnson is walking in and then the next minute, DJ Dion and DJ Funk and DJ Sluggo and DJ Mill. And it was nothing. It was, you know, the, you know, Byron would be there, Paris Mitchell would be there. I mean, these were just guys. These were just ordinary guys. I, I mean, I'm, I'm really flattered that, you know, that people think so highly of us. But it was just, yeah, it was just everyday occurrence to us, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Um, but yeah, I mean that that legacy and that that passion that you guys had for it, it still really lives on. I mean, I can hear a lot of the dance mania sound in what producers are doing today. Um, and I thought it was imperative to have this conversation with you now because there's a younger generation that are playing these tracks and they don't even know their history. They don't know where it comes from. And I just think that's that's inc- that's crazy. Like you got to know where your music comes from. <laughs> But yeah, I'm interested. You mentioned the clubs and how, you know, this is the clubs were really a great way for the artists to, uh, you know, hear their music on club speakers and get a crowd reaction to their creations. Uh, one story that I really love is by, uh, from Jem and Gerald, where he used to play at the factory. Um, there's another club that was mentioned when I was looking at uh, different documents about Dance Mania's history. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but is it called El Ruckin Temple? Um, it, it's called El Rukin. That oh. that's probably that's probably something uh, you were hearing about with DT Dion and yeah. Milton and all that. Be, not that I not that I think they were associated with the temple, but I do know they they grew up in the neighborhood and they probably did parties like in the temple. Yeah, what was the club scene like back then? Did you go to a lot of those parties? No, I was not, I, I, like I say, I wasn't a househead. Mm. I was not a househead. Oh. And I, I was not, you know, I I didn't party a lot. Wow. I mean, I, I went to a lot of, uh, I went to a lot of um, things as far as the music industry. Mm-hmm. But as far as house music things, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, you know, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a big party club core. I, I never was a drinker. Mm. I never was a smoker. Heck, I'm a, I've been a vegetarian since I was like in my twenties. Since my middle twenties. Really? So you know, I'm, you know, I, I was a, you know, I was, I was like a, I, I mean, I was, I, I was just a business guy. Wow. I was, you know, I would think of myself as just a business guy. Wow, that is crazy. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I wish I could say, you know, I wish I could revise, revise history, and you know, and then make everybody think that, yeah, I was a big house guy back then, you know, but I wasn't. I was not a big house guy. Wow. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how the sound shifted, because it, I feel like Dance Mania really hit an incredible peak between, like, in the 90s when that ghetto house sound started to emerge. Um, and one track that is... I feel is very quintessential in the ghetto house music. There's actually two tracks. Um, it is 
Eric Martins. Yeah, Eric Martins. Eric Martins hit it from the back, and also the ghetto shout out too from uh, Waxmaster. Those two tracks, like. Oh, okay. So I have a story. Well, um, well, um, with the Eric Martin, that's around the time that I started dealing with Paul Johnson and Robert Armani and those guys. Yeah. Um, because you, if you see, if you look on the Eric Martin record, you see Eric Martin and Tracksman. Mm. Tracksman were the guys who made music with Paul Johnson. Wow. They were called Tracksmen. Mm-hmm. So you, if you look at uh, like a uh, guy named Juice Sky. Paul Johnson, Robert Amani, mm-hmm. guy named Gr Deontay. Well, um, I don't know if Gr Deontay was a tracksman, but um, uh, Eric Martin definitely was a tracksman. But that was like, like if you if you look at the group of rappers now who call themselves the Rough Riders, mm-hmm. these were the tracksmen, you know, like like pretty much in that vein. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they call themselves tracksmen. That is incredible. Um, so even if, even if you look on an Eric Martin record, you'll see Eric Martin and the Tracksmen. Oh, Eric Martin and Tracksmen. It's something like that. I don't know. I don't remember right offhand. Yeah. But it's something like that. That is incredible. Um, Wait, what was the other record you were saying? Thing, it was uh, also the Ghetto Shout Out. Oh, okay. Now, if you... Uh, if, uh, now, uh, the Ghetto Shout Out, tell your story about that. That was just a, on a tape originally. Wow. That wasn't that wasn't like on wax at first. It was only on a mixtape. And he was shouting out different neighborhoods in Chicago, different uh clubs in Chicago, that kind kind of thing. And I, I think on that record he might have even said my name or something. Yeah, he said your name too. might have said my name or something but he did that it was on a mixtape and it was kind of shot uh, shyly done on a mixtape and i put him in the studio with paris mitchell to kind of have it polished up a little bit mm-hmm. and um uh, um that's how i came on wax because um he and paris mitchell went into the studio and kind of cleaned things up a little Mm. Because it was, it was, uh, it, 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 it wasn't, it did, it didn't have the best sound mm. on the mixtape, but it was, it was, you could tell it was a good record. Mm. Yeah, I remember, I remember uh, watching him tell that story also in the Strut documentary. How he said he was literally just making tunes out of his mom's house in the projects, and like you know, just decided to shout out all the different you know areas in the, in Chicago and. How it all came together so i mean that's that's really incredible also you know how dj dion was saying um i was reading an article how he was saying that like ghetto house was really just a way for them to kind of build a sound that would appeal to the crowds that they were playing to in the club because you know you could play you could only play house music for so much but they were able to find this like magical gateway between hip-hop and house with the ghetto house sound so Right. I think that's pretty cool. And, and if you and you gotta you gotta remember this, you know it, it it may sound like that we it was a big plan of ours to start this new style of music and everything, but we never even called it ghetto house. Mm. We just called house music. Wow. We other people started calling the ghetto house, and then you know we kind of took on the moniker later on as it came. Mm-hmm. About, but we never, when we were doing it, we never, we never called the ghetto house. As a matter of fact, if, if there's a track, DJ, DJ Funk was the first guy I remember that referred to a track as ghetto house. Mm-hmm. But that was a song. That was, that was the actual track he did called ghetto house. But it, but, but I, but we, we never called it as a genre of music, ghetto house. That's interesting. Not, that, not back then. 
Wow. So people were just calling it ghetto house because they didn't know what to, because it was literally just guys from the ghetto making house. <laughs> That's what it was. That's what happened. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's that's what it was. That's what it was. Wow. That's um, so cool. And that, that's what it was. It was just guys from the ghetto making, you know, it was like ghetto neighborhood music. Like, you know, guys who were making music that was reflective of, what they saw in the neighborhood or, or the, how they lived in the neighborhood or whatever. It was it was more or less like ghetto rap meets <laughs> like, house music. Like gangster rap or something. <laughs> yeah, gangster rap. Yeah, I didn't mean ghetto rap. I mean gangster rap meets house music. <laughs> that is so cool. Um, the, the ghetto house track resonated with so many people to the point where the sound really started to take off and then Europe caught on to it and people were, you know, replicating the sound over there. You know, obviously Daft Punk, they replicated a little bit of the track on their their track Teachers off of Homework. Um, and Homework was also a huge album for me. Like I that I love that album so much. But I'm wondering for you and all of the folks on the label were you worried when that sound started to carry over to Europe? No, no, they were. Uh, I think, I think by that sound carrying over to Europe, guys to this day who were doing, you know, the house music with me back in back back in the day, they're still eating. They're still making a living from what we did back then. You know, Tracksman travels all overseas all the time. Yeah. Sluggle. Um, beyond. These guys are still, you know, making music for what we did back, did back then. And there's no way anybody can say they thought the music we were doing back in the day would still be relevant today. Wow. Because we weren't even doing it thinking it would be relevant in 2020. Wow. We were just, we were, we were just doing what we do, having fun at it, and it was for the moment, and you know, nobody even had any idea that, that this this sound would even last as long. Did you start to see the level of business pick up, like, you know, obviously labels in Europe wanting to buy inventory from Dance Mania or buy records to sell overseas as well? No, I never really sold records overseas, mm. but I sold to exporters. Hmm. And these guys would export music overseas, but I, actually, I never really did a lot of business with companies overseas or anything. Mm. I just know I used to sell to exporters, and I know these guys used to buy from me all the time, but never, you know, with the internet now, and people are closer, and people, you know, with the social media now, you know, you would have a, you would have an idea that what we doing was may have been having an effect on people across the world, but nobody even knew it back then. <laughs> nobody, nobody, I mean, nobody knew that. This, nobody even knew this music was, you know, had, had taken a hold over there. And you know, I was even surprised when Strut gave me a call well, uh, and, and they wanted to do something because I was like, what? Well, you know, and they were, ap they were asking for a lot of they were asking to put on a compilation a lot of obscure things that we never thought was anything here. <laughs> but it was very popular there. Mm -hmm. It's huge. I mean, and I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with Nina Kravitz. She plays DJ Sluggo all the time. Uh, Peggy Goo plays your guys' tracks, and they're huge. They're huge. Yeah, I've, I, I've met Nina. Mm -hmm. I've met Nina. And as a matter of fact, she did a uh, she did a, a song with Paris Mitchell, um, uh, maybe about a year or so ago. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, I think they're working on something new right now. Wow, that's huge! Don't you can't tell us what it is, right? Is it a secret? I don't even think they know what it is right now. <laughs> Yeah, that's so incredible. Um, I mean, again, that just speaks to the legacy of what you guys were doing to the point where it started to travel and really make noise over in Europe. I mean, I think, have you ever turned, heard of the term biter? 
Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, okay. Yeah. I think that just some people, um, and I remember hearing in, in a story or a documentary where, you know, DJ Funk was saying that he was kind of mad that Europe started to take on the sound. Um, but, you know, so, some people might look at it as biting, but I think that I, you know, I, I think people are, are always going to have their opinions. Um, but, you know, there's an appreciation for it, and I think that's what it should be viewed as. Well, you know, actually, actually, it's it's kind of flattering. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, 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 it's flattering to me, and and most people I know, most people I know, I'm, most people I know, it's it's just flattering. It's 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 good to know that. I mean, because you know, even if you listen to like the early R and B guys or the early jazz guys or you know they probably had no idea what they were doing you know initially when they were doing it and look at the impact that you know some of the music has now you know look what it grows into look at the early rappers i watched some documentaries as far as um early rap Mm -hmm. and those guys had no idea it would explode into something like this. They were just doing stuff in the neighborhood or whatever. You know, they were turning out parties in the neighborhood. You know, they had no idea they were going to this. Yeah. And for, but for you also, it doesn't bother you that maybe some DJs are making like tons of money off of playing records from Dansmania? No, no, it's flattering. Wow. It's more flattering than anything. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the tail end of the of the record, of the record labels, uh, I guess, presence, because, you know, at one point things had to come to a halt. Um, you know, what were some of the major challenges for halting Dance Mania at the time that it did decide to kind of take a break? Well, Dance Mania, well, well actually, Dance Mania was pretty much a vinyl label. Mm. And as you know, technology happened, and you don't see DJs walking around with crates of records anymore. And you don't see people going to the local record store. I mean, it's like a vintage thing now. If people, you know, if people. I mean, you know, I, I like think, a novelty thing now. Yeah, I think there's there's a resurgence of it though happening. There's a lot there of there is a resurgence, but yeah. it's not. It's ne- it, I don't think it'll ever get to the point it was. I mean, you know, see, I actually sold to these independent stores. There mm-hmm. used to be maybe two, three record stores on you know with, on East Block or something. I'm, I mean, there were there were record stores all over the place and. You know, at one time in the in the nineties, like the middle nineties or late nineties or something, I would notice that you know we were we, we you know as far as a distribution company, mm-hmm. we weren't getting new customers. Mm-hmm. You know, at general natural progression is that you're gonna get some new, you're gonna lose some old customers and get some new customers. I mean, you know, every year you would lose customers, but you would gain customers also. Mm. So it would stay pretty stable from year to year. And then as as time went on, and you could see the trend was getting away from what we were doing. Mm. Maybe not the sound, but... You know, just you know, it and and there's many was like a DJ. It was it was it was music, basically put out to for DJs. Wow. And you know, it's mostly music to turn out parties or whatever. But you know, but as time went on, you know, it's just technology changed. You know, just things change. I mean, you probably can look at you know, a myriad of things that are different now than it was when we were little. Heck, they had phone booths uh, maybe 10 years ago. You can't find a phone booth now. Uh, um, I used to, I remember when I was in college, I had to remember every number that I had to dial. I don't know any numbers now, Harley. <laughs> you know, I just know, you know, I just know to click on somebody's name now. I don't know numbers. I mean, I know my kids' numbers, but <laughs> I don't I don't know I don't know numbers. Yeah. 
Um, this, you know, things just these things just evolve, mm-hmm. and um, I'm, well, I know I'm into a new thing now. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm into I'm in, I have a health food store now in Chicago, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I'm I'm very happy with that now. It just you know you go through different phases and different things. I mean that was it was good mm-hmm. while it happened. It was good while it lasted. Yeah, definitely. I, I know all good things have to come to an end, but I mean, right. it's it's just so sad. <laughs> Would you ever, I mean, I, I see that the Dance Mania has a Discogs page that is still pretty active where people can um, order vinyl and stuff. Do you still get calls from people asking for certain records? Yeah, I have a, I have a, I have a Facebook message right now from a guy. <laughs> he's like, you know, you know, he he like gave me a whole list of dance many things. He's like, I'm willing to pay for this stuff, man. Can I? Is there any kind of way you can give me copies of this? He has certain numbers. It's like it's like a whole whole uh, phone message. You know, it takes up the whole phone. It's that large, <laughs> and you know that's what he's, he's he just has the things he's looking for on Dance Man, mm-hmm. and he's like, uh, you know, I'm willing to pay for this stuff. You know, just let me know if you if you can get this for me if you can. Unfortunately, I had a house fire. Um, oh my about about three years ago, when my house was total, you know, and just fortunately nobody was hurt. But you know, at my whole collection was, you know, my whole collection is no more. Let me put. Oh way. my but, goodness! So you mean so uh, you mean that the basement that was in that interview you did with the Chicago Reader, that one, all those vinyls are gone? No, that was actually across the street. But oh, okay. The, that basement, uh, but a lot of that stuff had been moved across the street to my house, and yeah, a lot, all that stuff is gone now. <gasps> oh my god. I just want to quickly I just want to obviously that's really awful I don't even know what to say to that but I just wanted to play um uh, paint a picture for my 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 listeners um you know Ray Barney had this incredible basement filled with all of these really precious dance mania records um and I know at one point you guys were kind of gearing up to sell some unreleased stuff but um you know, that, that obviously so the plans came to a halt, but I didn't know that you had a fire. I am so sorry. Jeez. Yeah, I had a house fire. But you know what? You are amazing me with, you've really done your homework on <laughs> this interview here. Yeah. And, I'm, I'm a huge fan, so I have to. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's incredible. How's Paris Mitchell? Are you guys really yeah, still I close? I, I, we're still close. I talk to him almost daily. I'm, I mean, I talk to him about an hour before I talk to you. Oh, that is so cool. I would love, I'm planning on coming to Chicago soon, so it would be great to meet you guys and just. Well, yeah, yeah give me a call. I'm I'm in my store yeah. a couple of days out of the week, and so I'm here all day. Um, That's incredible. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about your, your, your health store. It's called New Life Health Store, yeah? Yeah, see, you know everything already. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing new I can spring on you. You know everything. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, you know, I, one thing that I really love is obviously giving back and giving back to the community, and I feel like you've done that in both through Dance Mania <clears throat> and now with this health store. It's very rare that you see a health store in the neighborhood. So, um, tell us a little bit about this 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 new health venture that you have. Well. The- you know, I wish I could take credit for starting the health food store, but it was started by my dad. And you know, one thing when when I when I got finished with college and I came back and started working in the business in the record distribution business and started dancing and everything, my dad was always interested. You know, for personal reason and for family reasons and natural healing things like that and addressing those problems. So he kind of pursued what he was doing in that business, and he kind of let me have my hand at um, at the record business, yeah. and he kind of took a step back a little bit because um, he felt like it was in good hands, in my hands. And so, um, you know, uh, push on the shelf. He started the helpful store, and you know, I just took it over from him. I wish I could take credit for coming up with it, but I can't. 
you know, it was something he came up with. And, I, you know, I happened to come behind him. Um, that is so cool. Do you guys sell sea moss? Yeah, we sell sea moss. That is amazing. Um, I've been looking for some sea moss. So when I come to Chicago, I know. Oh, we, we have sea moss um, powder, um, cutting and sifted. We have gel. We have the raw sea moss. Wow. Uh, and we have capsules. It's incredible that you have this store now in the context of what's happening with this crazy pandemic and, uh, our, you know, our community getting sick and all of that. Um, how have you been during this time? Oh, we've been fine. We never closed. And, you know, um, you know, during the pandemic, they had a lot of uh, a lot of programs for stores for businesses that were affected mm -hmm. by uh, by the pandemic. Um, I got to say, I you know, I would start to apply for some things and then I'm like, well, actually my business kind of increased when this happened wow. and didn't decrease. So, you know, it's like, you know, I can't justify, it. <laughs> you know, putting in a grant proposal or whatever, yeah. because... You know, if somebody take a look at my bank statement, they'll see that <laughs> business basically increased uh, when this happened, not decreased. People are really more health conscious now. Um, they really are um, really concerned about building up their immune systems. Uh, and, you know, actually business business is good and business has done much better. I mean, I, I, mean, I got to say, throughout the years, I've truly been blessed. question here you know we talked a little bit about having that integrity and that honesty when it comes to dealing with the business and music industry in general and I just feel like in 2020 it's kind of it's really hard to find that especially for artists that are looking to take their careers into their own hands and really take control of their music careers if you could give one word of advice to young artists that are looking to you know get into the music industry or even start their own label um, what is something that you would want the younger generation to know about running business with integrity um i don't, I don't you know i just i just you know from 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 me being raised in the music industry and you know from from business learning business from my dad it was just always taught to me to have integrity with people and always do what i say i'm gonna do always be fair with people you know never take advantage of anyone um and it was always um you know, it, you know, always, you know, if, if you made a deal, you made a deal with them, you know, so uh, keep your end of the deal up, you know, and that that was just uh, how I, um, that's just, you know, man, and my dad used to, my dad raised me with the saying that you reap what you sow, and so it was always like, you know, if, if you, if you're, taking advantage of people, then, you know, whatever you do is going to come back to you. And just, you know, just, you know, just have integrity in your dealings, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, you never know who you're going to need, you know. You never know when you're going to have to come back and need the same person you take advantage of. Mm. So I always try not to take advantage of anyone. You know, and, you know, and it, it, it helped me, you know, when I, I did actually did two compilations with Shrut and, you know, just to say, I mean, I, I mean, like every artist that, that I deal with, you know, I pick up the phone and I call them and I never have any problems with them, you know, you know, even, you know, even if I haven't spoke with them in years, I mean, they just remember you know, they're dealing with me at the time they were dealing with me. And they remember it was all honesty, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it was never, nobody can go back. I mean, everybody that I dealt with knew my address. They knew where I lived. I mean, I slept good every night. I wasn't watching over my shoulder. Yeah. It was always, you know, I had good dealings with people, you know, and I always dealt fairly with people. That's very, that is, I mean, that's incredible. You know, that's. 
that is incredible honestly it's it's very hard to find those kind of mentors nowadays and to do those kind of businesses in this industry because it can get really scary but to hear that that you have just always remained true to yourself that's that is incredible. Oh, I, I have one more question for you, actually. Do you yeah, have... I just got to tell you this before yeah. you ask me the last question. Yeah. You are amazing me because <laughs> man, I'm, telling me, I'm telling you, you sound like a very young person that should know as much as you know. <laughs> I'm not too young. I'm 30 years old, but... Eh. What? Man, that is, that is entirely too young to know. <laughs> I'm definitely entirely too young to know all this dance mini history that you know. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I was just, you know, I was just listening to some German Gerald, um, and I was just playing Factory the other day on my radio show, and I was like, I have to find Ray. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I, you know, I tried to look for emails and stuff, and then I was like, Facebook. Let's just see if he has a Facebook page. And the fact that you even responded back to me, I was like, oh my God, what do I do? You know, like, will he say yes? And this is a this is a full circle moment for me. Like, honestly, I just want to, after I get off the phone, I'll probably go cry. So. Well, see, and, and see, I responded back to you because I'm so flattered that somebody would think of, I mean, what? I mean, I'm just a everyday ordinary guy. You know what? <laughs> Why, why would you want to have me on your radio show? You know? <laughs> why would you want to talk to me? Why would you want to interview me? I'm just an everyday person. <laughs> I mean, that's how that's how I look at it, you know? Yeah, no, that's very true. Um, so my last question is, is there an, an all-time favorite Dance Mania track that you love and that you just love to listen to every day? That's a hard question. <laughs> That's a very hard question. I I can't tell you that. I used to I used to tend to you know back in the day you know um the like with the early dance mania before I started doing everything on dance mania I started with Bright Star yeah and I you know that was a label my dad had founded mm -hmm. back in the sixties back in the 50s and 60s and then uh then i had dance mania now bright star was at the time it was supposed to be like the more polished songs right. and the dance mania was supposed to be like the tracky like songs right. now if you remember do you remember uh Marshall Jefferson produced Byron Stingley. Well, it was Byron and a couple other guys, but it was basically Byron's vocals. Mm -hmm. Do you remember a record called I Can't Stay Away? Yeah, of course. No, I, I, I love that song. I can't stay away. Love that song because it was more in the mold of music I, I loved already. I mean, I loved um, OJ's and Earth, Wind, and Fire and Patti LaBelle and old Motown stuff. That I mean, that was the kind of stuff I liked. Mm -hmm. And you know, that was that was like it was like you know more R and B is kind of like to me, but you know I know it was a house song, house song, but it was more in the vein of what I liked. Yeah, that is so cool. Yeah, that's a that's a classic track. I really love that one too. Um, I love that one, and it's funny. I was just listening to another Marshall Jefferson track too. I can't remember off the top of my head, but that is so crazy that you mentioned that. Was um, it was it on Dance Mania? It was on Dance Mania. Yeah. Okay, the only song Marshall Jefferson ever did produce on Nance Mania was Seven Ways. Yeah, Seven Ways. Hercules. That's right. <laughs> yep, Seven Ways was it. I was literally just listening to that yesterday. Wow. That, this is just such an incredible moment for me. Like, I, I don't even know what to say, but thank you so much for, for sitting down and doing, with this, doing this for me. I just, I think that it's important to have these conversations again because there's a younger generation that doesn't know where this history comes from, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And it's important to not only know the history, but know the black history, black history of music. Um, 
it's something that I find is the history is definitely being washed out a little bit, you know, and um, the founders aren't getting the credit for the music that they've birthed and cultivated. And, and not to say like, you know, uh, you know, don't not attach to any clout to it, but I really think that it's important to know where this music comes from. And, and you definitely built an incredible legacy in Chicago, honestly, really, and truly. I believe that Dance Mania is the best label from Chicago. Trax is great too, but I think Dance Mania is number one. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you very much. And um, I could tell you back in the day, back when we were doing music, we definitely were not number one. Why? Why would you say that? You know, as as far as um, as far as the music we were doing, it was real good. But it's like I said, we we didn't have the we didn't have the marketing. But you know, and you know, I think we stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. I think. 2020, we may be viewed as it's the best. It was the best label mm -hmm. at this time, but I'm just saying back in 19 the middle 80s and going into the 90s, wow. we were not the label that had the the most marketing behind it, um, had the most radio play, had the most. Uh, commercialization. We were like an underground label, and which is which probably, um, which probably um, helped the longevity of the label over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. This, I mean, you just gave me a whole history, so a whole history class. So, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, if people come to Chicago and they want to come to your health food store, where can they find you? Well, we're, we're located on, on the, on, well, not actually on the corner, but right near Roosevelt and kids. We're at 3141 West Roosevelt Road, but we also, we have an online, um, we have an online store that's always open 24 seven and it's in illhealthchicago.com. So we're coming out of the interview between me and Ray Barney, the, the founder from the legendary dance mania. I have a really funny story about how I got this interview. So I had been looking for Ray's information for the last literally two to three months, trying to see if I could find an email, a phone number. And I was on Facebook talking to a friend of mine and I just thought to myself, why not type his name in on Facebook and see if I can find him? Lo and behold, he pops up on Facebook. You know, I was like, my hands were shaking because I messaged him trying to tell him about the podcast and, you know, that I wanted to get an interview and I didn't hear anything for a week. And then finally after he messages me, he's trying to get a gauge on, you know, if I'm not a bot or not. <laughs> and finally we get into touch. So I'm really grateful that um, that he sat down with me and, and really went into this in-depth story about how, you know, how important this label is and how he played a vital role in, in building it. Um, you know, again, I thought this was so important to do because I know, there's a younger generation of DJs and producers who listen to the show. You know, you may tap in and listen to all the gems dropped throughout the episode because me and Ray talked about everything uh, from how to really maintain relationships with integrity and in music um, and, you know, how to do it all on your own, right? Imagine trying to organize and, and run a label back in the, you know, in the mid 80s, you know, 90s. We don't had, we there wasn't the same resources that we have, right? Like everything is at our fingertips now, but these guys literally had to do everything themselves. Um, obviously the job was a little bit easier, right? Because Ray already had a wealth of experience from working with his family's record shop, 
Um, but it was really interesting to have this conversation in 2020 where, you know, the music industry doesn't have a great rep in terms of issuing fair contract deals with artists. Um, but it was so lovely to hear about Ray's mission to bring fairness and really keep friendship a priority when it came to running dance mania and how he took such great care of these artists. I mean, when you think about DJ Dion, uh, Traxman, even these guys still have incredible careers to this day in the music industry and are still killing it, releasing songs left and right, you know, still touring too internationally. Um, so it feels like Ray is a mentor, not only an incredible able owner, but he's a mentor to so many and he has been a mentor to so many coming up in the game. And I think this is what I love so much about this story that there are still heroes in this music thing, you know, because I think that that message tends to get lost. So this is why this episode was so important to me. I hope it is to you. Uh, Share it, please like it, tell a friend to listen because this is something that's really important Uh, you know, especially if you're a young cat coming up in the game and you're really looking for some solid people to, uh, help you and mentor you throughout this thing. Well, thank you so much. This has been episode 28. I am your host, Shannon Dawson. If you'd like to keep supporting and keep following the show, we're on Instagram at club underscore management. We have a Patreon, which you can find in the SoundCloud link. Or if you'd like to go support, if you happen to be listening on any other platform, uh, it's patreon.com slash club management, the number one, okay? Uh, Patreon.com slash club management one. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and the TuneIn app. Just type club management. Until next time.